You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. It is a joy and privilege for me to be here with you. I thank Robbie for his kind words and our friendship and my love for him. And uh, certainly I have gained more in this than he has. And I love him and as do our elders and staff. And we love your elders and staff. We love you. So thankful for our partnership together. And God has just been gracious to knit our hearts together. And blessed again this weekend in your leadership and free indeed and in so many other ways. And congratulations on a mortgage burning debt-free. That is wonderful. Carl said to me, he said these words have probably never been said before in our church service, burn, baby, burn. (laughs) Infamous now. Burn, baby, burn. Such reason to celebrate God's goodness and kindness, and we're grateful for it. It's an honor to be here and to stand in this pulpit and open God's word. Encourage you to turn your Bibles two spots. We're going to get to Genesis 50. We're going to start in Romans 8. And so uh, my introduction's from Romans 8, and then we're going to spend our time in the book of Genesis, uh, looking at a few places, but primarily in chapter 50. Romans 8, 28, if you've been a Christian for any length of time or around church, you probably know it. It's a very famous uh, verse, and there's a line in it, all things work together for good. And that's been said to many people, sometime uh, perhaps just uh, not thought out well and how that's used, thrown out tritely. Uh, to somebody in pain or suffering. But what's important to understand that is what precedes it and what follows it. Context is king in biblical interpretation, and so it's really important to qualify that statement. All things do not work out for good for all people. It's not a universal promise or truth. And so notice in the Bible what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It doesn't just mean love God in a religious generic sense. It means in Jesus Christ, for all those who have been born again, have repented of their sin, have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, and have been born from above. For all of those, his children, all things work together for good. He goes on to say right after it, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's just another way for saying for all those who love God. To be called means to be called into faith. At some point in time, the Holy Spirit called your name and you responded because he gave you faith to believe. And God called you according to his purpose, his purpose and plan to save you and to be uh, in your life. And so for all of those who are Christians, all things work together for good. But now we have to qualify the for good part because some of you are saying, God's not very good to me. That promise is not true. You would not believe what has happened in my life and the things that have happened. And so how can it be true? My stress, my trials, my loss, my suffering, my problems, and some of you would say my enemies. Some have brought such evil into my life. How can you say all things work together for good? Well, if you understand, and again, the context helps us learn what he means for good, because look what he says. For those, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't get hung up on that. It's a theological truth. There's another way for saying for all those who love God, for all those who are called according to purpose, it's just say for all who are Christians, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined what? To be conformed to the image of his son. If you want to understand what good means, it doesn't mean a problem-free living. 
It doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to you. It doesn't mean no evil will come against you. It means God is working all things together in your life to conform you to the image of his son. That's the ultimate good, isn't it? To be like Jesus. At salvation, we're declared to be righteous. We have Jesus' righteousness placed on us. We're justified. We're declared holy. But then we go through a process of becoming in our walk and talk who we're declared to be in our standing. Becoming in our actions and reactions and, and how we treat people. All of that to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. That is God working out this work, this plan, all for our good, all to conform us, to help us become the image of his son. So God is working all things together for good. Now, some of you are still struggling with that because of what's happened in your life. And so I wanna take you now to the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8.28. I believe Genesis 5.50.20 is the equivalent of Romans 8.28. So let's go back to the Old Testament now. This is dealing with the life of Joseph. And the, the truth in jo Genesis 50, 20 is Romans 8, 28. So Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, keep your finger in Genesis 50, but let's go back just to remind ourselves of the story of Joseph. Many of you know it. Back to chapter 37. And so Jacob had two wives and two concubines, and with them he had 12 sons in total. And from one of his wives, he had Joseph and Benjamin, and he loved that wife, their mother, more than the others. And so he treated those boys differently, specifically Joseph. And so Joseph, chapter 37, verse 2, he's 17 years old. His father bought him a coat of what? Many colors, right? And that's not great on dad's part to show favoritism like that, but he did and wasn't wise on Joseph's part. But Israel, verse 3, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And how did the sons respond to them? Verse, verse 4, his brothers saw their father loved him more than all the brothers, and they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. So sibling rivalry, and it's extreme. And it tells us in verse five that they, they hated him even more. Why? Because Joseph told him about a dream that they would all bow down to him. Not the smartest thing for a 17-year-old to say to his older brothers. But they hated him. It's emphasized. In verse eight, they hated him even more because of those dreams. And for down to verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him because again of the father's love. So you have this situation in the family. The brothers take the sheep out for a season and they're gone for a while. Dad's wondering how they're doing. So he sends Joseph to go see how they're doing. In verse 18, when they saw Joseph, him coming from afar, before he came near to them, they, the brothers, conspired against him to kill him. Now that's taking sibling rivalry to a whole new level. And then Reuben, one of the brothers, says, don't kill him, let's put him in a pit. So they throw him in an empty well. And Reuben's plan was to come back and rescue him later. But as he's in the well, verse 25, as they sat down to eat, they're thinking what to do now. He's down in the pit, he can't get away. Ishmaelites are coming and they're heading towards Egypt. And Judah, one of the brothers, said to the others, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now that's atrocious. 
They're going to sell their own brother into slavery. They're going to profit from him. So they sold him to the Ishmaelites. They got 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph, the Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt. And then the, the brothers take his coat of many colors. What do they do? They dip, dip it in some animal blood. They take it back to dad. Now, how evil is this? They go back to dad and they tell dad, your son is dead. He was eaten by a wild animal. And the text tells us that, jo that Jacob was mourning and his daughters, listen, listen, and his sons comforted him. Are you kidding me? How wicked is that? They know the truth, but they're pretending to comfort dad in his grief, never mind Joseph's mother, who is also in grief, and she's not mentioned. So we have, can we all agree, this was evil? This was evil at its worst. This is atrocious. Now, now God is so gracious. These 12 men become the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel, and it's a wonderful story of grace of what God does in their lives as well, although they have their problems. But poor Joseph sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. Egypt was known for its slaves. They had tens of thousands of slaves. That's how they built the pyramids and all the other things they built, was through slaves. And so many slaves died by the countless numbers. And so Joseph goes to Israel. Remember who he was sold to? A man named Potiphar. And he was faithful. And now listen, I'm not exalting Joseph in this story. Because all through the text about Joseph, it has this little phrase repeated over and over, and the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. There's one hero in the Bible. His name is God. And so we, we, we're acknowledging that. But I'm just talking about how God worked in Joseph's life in such a way. And so Joseph's a prisoner. He's a, he's a, he's a slave, and he's in Potiphar's employ, and God's blessing him. And soon Potiphar gives him the control of the entire house. But remember what happens? Potiphar's wife is an immoral woman. She wants to sleep with Joseph. He won't over repeated attempts. Finally, she accuses him of sexually assaulting her. And so when Potiphar comes back, she tells him the story. And Potiphar's so angry, he throws Joseph into prison. And for two years, Joseph is in prison for doing nothing other than honoring his boss and doing what was right and moral. That's evil that was done to him. Directly a result of his brothers selling him into slavery. And so after a while, remember the two dreams, and after a while it comes to Pharaoh that this Joseph can interpret dreams, and he's called before Pharaoh. He interprets a dream about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. He's put in charge in the country. He's the second most powerful man in the country. Still a slave, Still a slave, but he has this unique role. And remember then the, the famine hits and the brothers are sent by dad uh, to go to Egypt and to buy food and they have to come before Joseph and Joseph recognizes them. And that's the setting for the story. And so after a while, Jacob moves, the whole family moves to Egypt. Joseph takes care of them all. And then dad dies. And then dad dies. It's interesting. Look in verse 15, back to chapter 50 now. Verse 15 when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the, what, what, evil we did to him. Now, why do they assume Joseph would turn evil to them? Because we always project our character on others. And people who are evil to you think you're evil and you'll return evil for evil because that's who they are. And so they're thinking, now dad's dead. He's been holding back because dad's alive. And now that dad's dead. And so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave the command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. 
Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father. Now, I, I personally, it's not from the, I don't believe Jacob said that. Now, I don't know, but just in reading, I, I think if Jacob had have wanted Joseph to forgive the sons, before he died, he could have called Joseph and said, I'm gonna die, and I just want you, I'm asking you as your father, would you forgive your brothers for the evil they did? That would make sense, wouldn't it? And the brothers are all grown adults. They have families. Could they not have come just to Joseph and bowed down and said, Joseph, we're humbling ourselves before you. We did evil against you. Would you forgive us? They could have done that, but they didn't. I think they came up with this story. I think they're using Joseph's love for his father. I think pragmatically they're still doing evil, and I think they're making it up. Again, I can't prove that. That's just my sense. They're saying to Joseph, your father commanded us to ask you to forgive us. It's just really sad statement on who they are and their character. Now, I love how the text, look what it says. When they say this, Joseph wept when they spoke with him. It doesn't seem they wept. This was a man who had evil, wicked evil done against him. And by the very people who did it, he's weeping and forgiving. It's profound. It's profound. How does he do that? How does he do that? Well, in verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? There's where the problem starts for a lot of us. We stand in the place of God. We're gonna pronounce judgment and I get it. It's under, somebody did evil against you. They're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. Joseph's not burying his head in the sand. Joseph has a theology or he has a view of the sovereign nature of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Joseph is not standing in the place of God. But now I want to unpack that verse 20. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. I want to go through three points because I think some of you right now are suffering immensely. Perhaps nobody knows. Perhaps others do. Evil has been done against you. And what do you do with that? And when I say God works all things together for good, you say there's no way this could be good. So let's look from the story of Joseph here. My first point is this. Some people are evil and plan evil against us. It's just a reality of the world we live in. Some people are plain evil. They're sinful, they're wicked, and they actually plot and plan evil against us. Joseph is not deluded or in denial of his brothers. He said, you meant evil against me. He doesn't downplay it. Oh, you made a mistake. You know, like some mothers do with their children. You see people arrested on TV for doing some horrific thing and their loved ones are there saying, they're people of good character. No, they're not. They aren't. He's not deluded. He's not in denial. You meant evil against me. Now, this is evil. This is not a mistake. There are such things as mistakes. What do you say when you make a mistake? I'm sorry. Yeah, we Canadians are professional. I'm sorry. We lived in California for four years at seminary. And people sometimes would say to us, you're from Canada. How'd you know? They say we had an accent, but they also say, because you say you're sorry. Americans, if you bump into them in the grocery store, they'll say, excuse me. We Canadians are constantly apologizing all the time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
And, and I'm sorry are for mistakes. I spilt the milk. I'm sorry. I bumped into you. There's not sin. There's no sin. And I'm sorry is easy to say, isn't it? We've said it so many times. But if we sin, I'm sorry is not sufficient. And often we will say I'm sorry because to say what we should say when we sin is humbling. It's very easy for me to say I'm sorry. But when I have to say, will you what? Forgive me. For, and we name it. So I'm not talking about mistakes here. I'm talking about real sin. But there's even different kinds of sin. Now, as I explain this, please understand, every sin is a violation of the law of God. Every sin, any sin, will condemn us, even the so-called little white lies, the way we also always grade these things. Every sin is, requires Christ to die on the cross. I'm not in any way demeaning sin is sin is sin. But sometimes we sin by omission, by just not doing what we should do. And there are times that's not just a mistake, that's a sin. If you promise somebody I'll pray for you and then you just completely didn't and forgot, it's, you got a bad memory, but did you put any effort into actually fulfilling your promise? And if you gave your word, is, is that a sin perhaps? Might be, might not, depending sort of on your heart and that, but sins are of omission. I'm not talking about sins of omission, of not paying attention or not being careful or working to remember. There are other sins of impulse. There's no premeditation, but in the moment, and some of you at times will lose your temper and it's not planned or anything and you just suddenly lose, have a lack of self-control and you get, now, if you're characterized by that, it's a whole other level and you need to get some help. They're all sins, but sometimes just that impulse, sometimes we just say things, we, we just blurt out something, we share something we shouldn't and now we're guilty of gossip. It wasn't premeditated, but it was a sin. But then there are the sins of premeditation where you think about it, you plan for it. Some of you have done that this week. You've thought about a time to sin, a way to sin, a thing you're gonna sin in. You've worked the plan. It's premeditation. Some, some people have done that to you. They have literally sat down and thought about how they could hurt you the most. They've worked evil against you. They have been evil. It's premeditated, it's planned, it's designed to hurt, to damage, to ruin, to destroy. Maybe it was somebody in business. Maybe it was uh, some uncle, some brother, some father, somebody to some of you women. Maybe it was a, a boyfriend. Maybe, who knows what it is? Somebody's done evil. They've done wickedness. It was not impulse. It was not omission. It was intentional. It was thought through. The brothers are that way, aren't they? They thought through a plan to sell him because they're jealous and they hated him. Selling anybody into slavery is wicked. And selling your brother. He's 17 years old. They're his older brothers. And to the Egyptians who were so cruel to so many, it's just so evil. And some people in your life and mine have been that way. Sometimes by ignorance or omission or carelessness or impulse. But what do you do when I say all things, God causes all things to work together for good and you're saying, you don't know what's been done in my life. You don't know what somebody did. There's no way in the world that's good. Could ever be good. 
They planned it. They knew it was going to hurt me. They intentionally brought pain or loss. They don't care. They've never repented. They've never even said, I'm sorry. For some twisted reason in their own heart and mind, they got joy out of this. They were vindictive. They were bitter. They were angry. They were whatever it is. I've had this happen, and I'm sure you have as well. So what do you do when somebody does outright evil? How do you respond? Can I just say in this pandemic, some of you, not all, but some of you, really believe, and I'm not, I'm not going to argue it with you at all because I understand it actually, fully understand it. Some of you really believe our government and big pharma have intentionally done evil. And some of you have been immensely hurt. Some of you parents have had children immensely hurt over the last two years. And you believe it was intentional. I, I'm not arguing was it was or it wasn't. I'm saying what do you do with that when evil's been done? Some of you it's been by a company or a coworker or a neighbor or a boss, an employee. As I said, some of you maybe a parent, a friend, maybe, maybe sadly some of you a youth leader or a pastor. How do you deal with that? Well, our next two points hopefully will help you. How do you deal with outright evil done to you? Here's our second point. You need to understand, you need to remind yourself of this truth. God is always working his plan for our good. You don't feel this. You need to remind yourself of the truth of this, that despite the evil being done, there's a sovereign God over all of that who's always working his plan for good. It's Romans 8, 28 in the Old Testament. You meant it for evil against me, but what? But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. What is this doing? This is recognizing the sovereignty of God over all people, over government, over big pharma, over your neighbor, over your uncle, over your business partner, over everybody. You say, well, then why did God allow it? It's not good, it's not good. You ever wonder what Joseph thought? You ever stop to wonder as he's sitting in the pit? What's running through his head? As he's going, being carried away by these people he doesn't know to a country he's never been at 17, what do you think he's thinking? As he's in Potiphar's house and he's a slave, as he gets accused wrongly of sexual assault, as he's thrown in prison for two years, what do you think's running through? Most people are just rehearsing over and over and over the evil done to them and it eats them up and they can't wait to get even. I think Joseph, and again, not highlighting Joseph as a hero, but somehow in God's grace, he was understanding the sovereignty of God, that God is always working a plan for our good. Somehow Joseph saw that while he was still experiencing evil. Now, can I say, the answer in this place you're in is to submit and come under what God's doing, but, but please hear me carefully. This does not negate taking action. All right, if someone is doing evil against you, it is right to call it out. I'm not asking you to just stay under that and not do anything. The Bible tells us if someone's in sin, we go to them and tell them they're in sin. The Bible gives the church Matthew 18. The Bible says we speak the truth. We speak it in love, but we speak the truth. The Bible puts forth the idea of justice and righteousness. And so if someone is doing evil against you, it is right and biblical to say that is sinful and needs to stop. 
that is wrong, that's unacceptable, I'm gonna go to my pastor or my elder or somebody, can I say to you, wives, if you're in a home where you're being abused, I'm not, please hear me, not for the life of me am I saying you just remain under. You tell somebody today. You take action today. The Bible teaches even if that person asks forgiveness, we can forgive, but sometimes the consequences are put in place. We may forgive, but we're calling the police. God's a God of justice. And so I'm not saying in any way, please hear that, that you have to submit and stay under. You, you and I need to do our part to call sin, sin, to protect the vulnerable, to help those who are being, having evil done against them, to hold people accountable. We need to do that. To put in place consequences. To tell them to stop. But when we've done all of that, we can't change the situation, or some of you, the evil's in your past, and you can't go and back and undo that, what do you do? You do what Joseph had to do. You trust God's working good in all situations. You trust him regardless of how it seems. Listen, listen. you trust him regardless of how it feels. Regardless of how it feels. We're developing a soul care ministry and biblical counseling. A lot of that we've learned from your church and Nathan Penny and, and others here and, and Tammy and others and, and Grant. And we've been so blessed by your church in that. And this is one of the things we've learned, right? That the, the, the engine on the train is not our feelings. We operate on the truth of God's word. And so when you find yourself, and this is you, here's what I'm asking you. Submit to a sovereign God. Here's what I'm asking you not to do. Don't attack them back. There's a, there's a tendency in our flesh, somebody does evil, we're gonna get even. We love payback in our country. The movies that are payback movies are big sellers. We're not saying get even. Here, here's another thing not to do. Don't slander them on social media. I don't know about you, but I've seldom seen anything resolved on social media. Your post may feel good when you click send, but it's doing nothing but harm. But they slandered me on social media. Then you trust the Lord in that. He's sovereign. He can shut down their computer. He can take them out. He can, he'll defend you. We, we explain at times ourselves in our own church what we did, why we did it, and all of that. But we've got to be careful not to be constantly running around defending ourselves. And, and don't get even. Don't get even, as I said. What do we do? We submit ourselves to God. Submit yourself to God's care. Submit yourself to God's provision. Submit yourself to God's direction. Submit yourself to God's plans. Listen, submit yourself to God's promises that he's working all things together for your good. And what is your good again? To conform you to the image of his son. Do you trust that? God can take all that happens to us, listen, including the evil done by others. And somehow, I can't explain it. I've seen it happen. But somehow, mysteriously, he works even the evil others do for our good. Now, please hear me. This does not mean the pain will necessarily go away. I'm not saying that. The tears may flow for the rest of your life. It does not mean your reputation is going to be restored. It does not mean that relationship will be restored. It may, but it doesn't mean that. What I'm talking about is in your heart, what happens in your heart. You're not wasting what God is doing. 
You're not wasting what God is doing in the trial, the loss, the suffering, and even the evil of other people. And you may see it. You may see it this week. You may see it this month. You might see it within a year, what God is doing. And you might say, wow, I see it now. That was such a gift from you for what it did in my life. But can I tell you, you may not see it this side of heaven. But here's what I can guarantee. You will see it one day. You will see it one day. Maybe it's when we get to glory, but I guarantee a day is coming when you will look back for everything that happened and you will say, thank you, God, for that. I guarantee it. And so the challenge is, by faith, by faith, choose that path today. We're building a building in London for our church, 15 and a half years, and church in a box, and we bought property. Two years, we worked on a building. We had all designed. We had it all approved, and we were, actually had contractors. We started moving the soil. Everything was a go. Then the Ministry of the Environment in Toronto said we needed a neighbor to sign a letter, literally one sentence. He was okay with our stormwater plan, our 100-year stormwater plan. He wouldn't give it to us. Everything ground to a halt. For two years, we tried to get that. We bought an old building, Wortley Baptist Church building, and we bought as an interim solution until we could build our building. And the Lord never allowed that. And we sold the land, and we decided God told us to stay in a building with a leaky roof and all the stuff in front of an old building. At the time when that happened, one of our elders, an incredible man of faith, he said, we know one day we're going to thank the Lord for this, so let's choose today to thank the Lord for this. And can I tell you, it took me a while to get there. It took me a while. But since that day, so many times, especially these last two years, because we have no debt, and we've just thanked the Lord for what he did. Can you, can you do that? Perhaps as a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, an ex-friend, a parent, a spouse. Can, can, I know they've done evil, but God, but God, but God. Can you just believe God is working it all for his good? Can you trust him? Believe it. Joseph says in chapter 45 and verses 7 and 8, he says to his brothers, God sent me before you to prepare for the family. Somehow, Joseph worked all this through. Joseph spent the two years in jail. It was interesting in my Bible reading a little while ago, I came across Psalm 105. Psalm 105 sort of rehearses a bit of the history of Israel. And in Psalm 105, 17 to 19, they write about Joseph, how his feet hurt with the fetters and his head had a collar of iron. When Potiphar, remember the text says Potiphar was mad at him, he put him in jail and he put his feet in fetters, in binders. They bound up his feet and he put iron around his head. I don't know how long that lasted, but that was painful. And all the evil, and that's directly going back to the brothers selling him, and all that evil that happened. I'm telling you, one day you will see it. So by faith today, choose to trust him. Choose to rejoice in him. Choose to release the bitterness and anger. Choose to turn your heart over to him. He knows, he understands, he'll provide. God always is working his plans for our good. Our third point, not only is God always working his plans for our good, we need to remind ourselves of that constantly daily. Here's the third point. His plans will triumph over their plans. You believe that? His plans will triumph over their plans. They meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God's plans will always triumph over the evil, over their plans. Joseph lifted his eyes off his brother's evil intentions. He didn't deny them. He wasn't blind to them. 
They had nothing good in their hearts or actions. Think about it. 17, he was sold into slavery. When he meets his brothers, the text tells us he's 30. 13 years, if my math is correct. Over those 13 years, never once did one of those brothers say, I think I'll go to Egypt and try to find Joseph. They could have. They could have. Not one of those brothers ever said to dad, dad, we lied. Your son's alive. We should go find him. The evil that just continued in their hearts. They were so evil as they watched their father sorrow, thinking their son is dead. Even when they come and meet Joseph in the story, they're telling the story because he's asking about it, and a father and a brother, and they say, our one brother died. <laughs> they're still lying. 13 years later, never once did one of them think to tell the truth. But somehow Joseph didn't fixate on all of that. He knew they were doing it to ruin him. But listen, when you focus on that, rather than on the fact God's always working plans for your good, rather than on the fact his plans will triumph their plans, you lose all that God has for you. The more you focus on the evil they've done and the one that did evil, it'll rob you of your joy every day. It'll rob you of your delight. It will rob you of your peace. It will rob you of your worship. It will rob you of God's blessing. So stop that and choose the path of releasing all that evil, all that wrong, all that hurt, all that love. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Please hear me. I'm not diminishing it in any way. It was horrific. I'm saying, by faith, trust that God is working all of that awful stuff for your good and that his plan will triumph over their evil. He knows, he cares. Could you choose today to see somehow, somehow, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but somehow he's gonna use even that evil for your good and his glory. The question is, will you trust him? Not because you feel it, not at all. You feel the opposite. But a choice of the will by faith today to say, God, I hand it all over to you. I release this person and I release the evil they did to you. Let me remind you on the cross. Jesus made a number of statements, didn't he, on the cross? And one of the statements, while his hands are still bleeding and his feet and every breath he has to go through horrific pain, his back is raw from the whipping and every time he'd push up, it would probably rub against. His head had the crown of thorns and while the people were still mocking him, what did he pray? Father, you tell me, what did he pray? Father, what? How's he say that? It doesn't mean they were forgiven horizontally. It doesn't mean they were freed from the sin they did. But what he's doing is showing us a heart where to have, I release it all to you. All the evil they're doing, the false accusations, the false witnesses, the hypocrites who have done this, the people who chose to release a zealot instead of me, a terrorist instead. I release all of this. I, I just really, we talk about vertical forgiveness and horizontal. Just today, 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 listen, this horizontal thing may never be restored until that person comes and asks forgiveness. That, that kind of is in their camp, sort of, but you can today just release it to the Lord. Release it to the Lord. I choose joy. I choose life. I choose freedom. I choose by faith the trust. Listen, listen. 
God works all things together for your good. You can believe it because you can believe him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this story of Joseph and this heart of a 30-year-old man who had all these horrific things done to him. And by your grace, you brought him to this place where he could weep for the ones who had done evil before they ever, ever even asked forgiveness. While they were still lying, he is moved with a heart and he understands the theology. He doesn't stand in your place and he acknowledges the evil they did, but his faith and trust is in you. You are a good God and you only and always do good. And in those days, like maybe today for many, where they don't feel that at all. And there's no way they can see the good in this. I pray by faith you would grant the ability to just say, today I choose to believe the word of God and the God of the word. And as they step out in faith, choosing that place, you would fill them with a joy they haven't known for a long time. You would grant a peace and a delight and a worship because you're present and you're good and we can trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name.